All right, well, good morning, everybody. You can, uh, you can start making your way back to your seats. So while you're doing that, you know, my, uh, my son Caleb uh, has, has a birthday coming up. He's, he's turning eight, uh, and actually his birthday is on Thanksgiving this year, which is fun. And so because he has his birthday coming up, you know, if, if you have kids, you know this, that the weeks leading up to birthday, um, all the conversation in the house is about gifts. It's like, Daddy, I want this. Daddy, I want this. I saw this thing on, on, on YouTube. I want to go to Target and look at stuff. Can I add something to my Amazon wish list? Just gifts, gifts, gifts. What he doesn't realize is that his, uh, is that his present this year um, is, uh, is going to be the, the green bean casserole at Thanksgiving. That's... <laughs> Um, so we're, ta- we're talking gifts all, all the time, and, uh, and a thought struck me. Uh, this, this, I, I didn't have this thought, actually, until last week when Don was, Don was preaching, because, you know, we're, we've been in this series of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're actually finally starting to get towards the end of the, the letter, like there's light at the end of the tunnel. We're almost there. Um, and, but uh, Don was preaching from, uh, from the famous 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. Uh, and really, the, the context there is chapter 12, 13, and today we're seeing 14, is, is all about spiritual gifts, Really, that, you know, chapter 13, we sometimes like to take out of context and do it at weddings and things like that, which is a good place for it. But really, in chapter 12, 13, and 14, it's all about Paul addressing uh, the Corinthians' use of spiritual gifts and correcting them that the true use of spiritual gifts is to work itself out in love. And so, this, so with Caleb's birthday coming up, this thought struck me as I was listening to, to Don's message last week about love that I wonder if the way that we approach spiritual gifts in the church is sometimes kind of like the way kids approach birthday presents in that it's all about me, right? That I'm special and God loves me very much. I know that because Veggie Tales told me so. <laughs> and God has a wonderful plan for my life and wonderful gifts that He wants to give me. Every sentence, every word in that sentence is true. However, I wonder if that sort of ch- almost childish mentality of sort of being wrapped up in in what these gifts have to do with me actually puts us in the same boat as the Corinthians, that we've got things backwards. Because in in chapter 12, so a couple weeks ago we were in chapter 12. Chapter 12, Paul lays out this vision for the church. The church is the body of Christ. We're all one joined together. And God has gifts that he gives to his church. He distributes puts all the parts together so it all functions, it all builds, builds itself up. That was chapter 12. And then he gets to chapter 13, and he's like, well, I want to correct something here, because the Corinthians, you see, they were very enamored with spiritual power and spiritual credentials. Uh, they were very enamored with themselves, really. And so they were using their gifts as a way to draw attention to themselves, to inflate themselves, to say, it's my birthday and I'm special. I'm going to use these gifts. Look at me. And so Paul corrects them. We saw last week that he says, no, the mark of true spirituality isn't power or giftedness. It's love. It's love is the mark of true spirituality. And so, so we had chapter 13 that you know, Paul says, you, know, you can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but without love, you're, just, you're no better than a noisy gong. And Paul really, he belabors this point, chapter 12 and 13 and today and 14, um, because as Don said last week, this issue of love really is the fundamental problem in the Corinthian church. Like we've seen, we've seen a whole lot, lot of mess in our journey through 1 Corinthians, but all the messes are just a, sim- a symptom of this problem. It's a lack of love. All of the division and pride that was going on in this church, it's Love does not boast, Paul says. Love is not arrogant. People holding on to their rights and freedoms, even at the expense of others, Paul says, no, love does not insist on its own way. 
their preoccupation with knowledge and power. Paul says you can have all prophetic gifts and understand all mysteries and knowledge, but without love, he says, you're, you're nothing. A church with the best preaching and the best doctrine and the best theology, but without love, is no church at all. It's just a book club. And so in some ways, chapter 13 is sort of the crescendo of the whole book. This is where it's all been going in chapter 13 as Paul brings all of these issues together. And it's like, it's love, people. And Paul had said, he had been dropping hints along the way. He said in chapter 8 that knowledge puffs up, at least the kind of knowledge that the Corinthians we're after this as a sort of spiritual credentials, badge of honor, my theology is better than yours, that that just puffs up. But love, he says, builds up. Love builds up. And knowledge puffs up yourself, but love builds up others. And that idea that love builds up others is the main point as we arrive in chapter 14. Chapter 14 is basically just the application of chapters 12 and 13, that God has given spiritual gifts to the church. The point of those gifts is love. And so chapter 14, really the big idea of chapter 14 is simply that love should dictate how we use our gifts. Love should dictate how we use our spiritual gifts Because God has given you spiritual gifts. If you've put your faith in Jesus and he's given you his spirit, along with that spirit, he's given you spiritual gifts, not for yourself, but he's given you gifts to build up others. And so we're going to take this whole chapter... This, this week, and sort of go through it and see, because there's, Paul's going to belabors this point with some illustrations, but, but it really it all boils down to this. It's that, that love is the primary, even as we gather together, what it looks like, it's all love. So if you have a Bible, you can start reading in chapter 14, verse 1, or you can follow along on the screen. Here's what, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And he says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So throughout this chapter, Paul Paul is going to contrast two particular gifts. We saw in chapter 12, there's lots of spiritual gifts that God distributes to his church. Paul's contrasting two here in this chapter the gift of prophecy, and the gift of tongues. And he's doing this for a couple different reasons. Um, One reason is that this was a particular issue in the Corinthian church. Um, Similar to to some Pentecostal churches today, the Corinthian church had an elevated view of the gift of tongues. They had sort of elevated this one into a sort of a super-spiritual gift. And and like this is this is the mark of true spirituality. This is you know, look at me how spiritual I am because I can speak in tongues. And so along with that, the way that people were operating in this gift in their gatherings was sort of chaotic. It was people putting the spotlight on themselves, jostling for attention. And Paul, as he so often does in this letter, he sees the issue, and instead of being just like, hey, stop that, do this instead. Rather, Paul addresses the underlying issue. The underlying issue in this case is that love is not dictating how they use their spiritual gifts. And another reason that Paul is going to linger on the contrast between these two particular gifts is because this contrast is actually a good illustration of the point that he's making, that spiritual gifts are for the good of others, not just yourself. 
And so you can see in this first paragraph, he says, he says, if you're speaking in tongues, he says, you may be building yourself up. You may be having this great, this great spiritual experience between you and God. He's like, that, that's good. He doesn't mean building yourself up in a bad way here. He's like, that's, that's good. He says, but like, it doesn't actually help other people. It's, it's you just took the gift and you're like, you opened it. It's like, it's for me. And Paul's like, it's not for you. <laughs> it's, it's not for you. Whereas, he says, prophecy, which is sort of speaking into a situation with divinely given insight and clarity, that, he said, that, that's helpful. That's helpful to the people around you. That's upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, which is really just another way of him saying, that's love. That's what love looks like. See, love should dictate how we use our spiritual gifts, and love puts the good of others first. Love builds others up. And so, and so he, Paul says in verse 5 here, he says, prophecy is better than tongues. Um, not because, as the Corinthians would probably think, that, oh, well, then maybe prophecy is the really spectacular, impressive gift to proclaim God's truth. No. He says prophecy is better because... It builds others up. It's like, that's what makes it greater. That's the measure of greatness. Or as Don said last week, true spirituality is measured in love. Or if you'd like a higher authority than Don, <laughs> it's what Jesus says. Remember, Jesus said, whoever wants to be great must become the servant of all. And Jesus said, for even I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. You see, greatness in Jesus' church is defined by serving others, with Jesus himself as the highest example. The, 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 basically, the way it goes in Jesus' church is that the farther you stoop to serve, the greater you are. And since Jesus stooped from heaven's throne to a cross... No one is greater than him. And spiritual gifts, as we've seen these last couple of weeks, spiritual gifts are just are an expression of his heart. It's a little sliver of who he is as he constitutes his body here on earth. And this is who he is. He's love. He is love. And so Paul says, this is greater. This gift that, that blesses and encourages and builds up everyone around you, that's greater. Because that's what greatness is. You see, I, I, think we, I think we often get spiritual gifts wrong. Not just in the, you know, the, the, that, that backwards way of thinking of them like, um, like Caleb does of his birthday gifts. Uh, but have you ever uh, have you ever taken a spiritual gift inventory? One of those. It's basically the Christian version of a personality test. <laughs> I, I, I was I was looking some of them up this week, and you know, spiritual gift inventory, and it's it's often it's like a checklist of questions that, that you can that you can answer and kind of rate yourself scale of one to five. And it was amazing looking through all these spiritual gift inventories. I just I couldn't help but notice the que the, the the statements that you had to like agree or disagree with. It's like, I really enjoy this, or I get a lot of fulfillment from this, or I think that I'm good at this, and you sort of agree or disagree with all the questions down, and then you add up the points, and boom, there's your spiritual gift inventory. There, there it is. The problem with gift inventories like that is that spiritual gifts are not just what you're good at or what you enjoy doing. Like everyone has talents and abilities that you know, that God has wired you for, and so I, I suppose in, in in one sense, all of those talents and abilities are gifts. They are gifts from God that He has He's wired you with, and that's how kind of how we talk about the talents. We use the language of like oh, like giftedness. So that's a really gifted musician. And what we mean is that God has wired them to be very talented at that. And that's good. It's good to acknowledge that all of our talents and abilities come from God. That's just not what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are talking about. 
when the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, it's not just talking about what you're good at. A spiritual gift is the Holy Spirit working through you to build up and encourage others with God's grace. That's what a spiritual gift is. The Holy Spirit working through you to build up and encourage others with God's grace. And so, a spiritual gift is not measured in its impact on you. It's like, I like this. I enjoy this. I'm good at this. Spiritual gift is not measured in its impact on you. It's measured in its impact on others. And so, so the best way to discern what spiritual gifts you have is not that kind of self-focused, self-evaluation. The best way to discern what spiritual gifts you have is go serve people. <laughs> go serve people in a, in a bunch of various capacities, wherever God opens doors, whether it's up front or behind the scenes or whatever, and then just observe what is the impact of this on people. Let me, let me, give, you, let me give you an example. I'm going to brag on, she's going to hate this, I'm going to brag on Ann Shanahan for a minute. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't even know if she, I don't know if she's in the room right now because she's probably off exercising her gift somewhere as she usually is on a Sunday morning. Ann Shanahan is, um, she's on staff here at church as sort of one of the, the office assistant administrator people and event coordinator. If you've ever had an event here at church and helped you, you know, get that organized and set it up. And if you've ever had a meal here at church, it was Ann Shanahan who made the room all beautiful and had the little menu there and like the tablecloths are all themed. And so she, she's just really good at that. <laughs> uh, she, she has, she has the natural, the natural ability of, I don't even know what, what you call it, party planning. Um, <laughs> hospitality, like she's got, I mean, she has lots of skills in, in, in that arena. Now, on, on one hand, though, anybody can kind of sort of set up a room for a meeting, right? I, I could set up a room for a meeting, not that you want me to, but I, I, I could, and I could, I, I could plan the menu, and I could, I could do it all, and the, the effect would be people would be like, okay, thanks, cool, I'm going to eat my food. When Ann Shanahan does it, it's not just because she's better at me. There's something intangible that happens when Ann Shanahan sets up a room. And it's something beautiful happens. It's fellowship happens and encouragement happens and people feel cared for and they feel seen and noticed and loved and it brings people together and people are encouraged and it's like tablecloths. <laughs> this is because Ann Shanahan has the spiritual gift of all of those things of hospitality and party planning and what, and, and what else. It's not just a natural ability. It's the Holy Spirit working through her to impact people with God's grace. And so spiritual gifts, some, sometimes it's God taking kind of a natural ability that he's given you. Sometimes it's something completely different, but it's, it's his power and grace working through you to accomplish what you could not on your own. And so, so it, again, if you want to figure out what your spiritual gift is, you know, and maybe if you're older, maybe you've kind of, you've walked with Jesus long enough, you've figured this out, but what, maybe if you're a young person um, or if you're a new believer and you're kind of like, like, where do I fit? So you want to figure that out. Just go do a bunch of stuff, right? Just go, go do a bunch of stuff. Teach in Grace Kids, serve as a greeter, um, help serve coffee, try out on the worship team, volunteer to help Becky in the office. Right, Becky? <laughs> Wait, whatever. And you'll find that some of those things will come more easily to you than others because you have strengths and weaknesses. Some you'll be better at than others. But eventually, if you keep doing that, you will you will eventually find that thing where inexplicably and intangibly, all of a sudden, you discover you're having an impact on people in that area. You're having an impact that's something beyond you and beyond what you're doing. And, and you'll find 
for some reason, people are built up and encouraged and strengthened by this, this thing you do beyond what makes sense for that thing. And boom, there's your gift. There's where God wants to use you in his body. That's where the Holy Spirit wants to use you to build up the church. And so can I just say maybe a little aside here? Just imagine a whole church doing that. Everybody doing that. Everybody exactly where the Holy Spirit is positioning them to be a conduit of grace to people. Because we've all tasted that experience of being blessed by someone who is operating in their gifting, where it's just you walk away from that tablecloth so encouraged. Just imagine everyone doing that in ways big and small. It's just grace all over the place. It's encouragement coming out the wazoo. This is why Paul says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Because it's not, it's not for you because you're so special. It's your birthday. No, it's for the good of others. Jesus wants to use you to build the church. And so as we, as we keep moving through this letter, we are going to pick up the pace now. Otherwise, we never get through the chapter. Don't worry. But Paul continues belaboring this, this point and this contrast between, between the two examples he's using of tongues and prophecy. Uh, and, and he's going to keep giving us illustrations and telling us again and again because both the Corinthians and us have hard hearts and thick skulls. Uh, and so sometimes we need things said a couple times before they start sinking in. Uh, and so on, on the next slide, uh, Paul just continues this comparison between tongues and prophecy uh, to help us see gifts are for the good of others and specifically that spiritual gifts communicate God's grace. Gifts communicate God's grace. And so in this, next, in this next paragraph, we're just going to kind of skim it here a little bit because really what Paul is doing is just he gives three sort of illustrations. It's all it is is just some three illustrations. If you didn't get it the first time, maybe you'll get it the second time, maybe you'll get it the third time. He's basically, he says gifts are intended to communicate. And so he's like, it's like a musical instrument. A musical instrument is for playing a song. And he says, and it's also, it's kind of like one of those military bugles, like the, the trumpet that Keith DeFontis plays. It's for, for waking soldiers up in the morning. It's got a purpose. It communicates something. Assemble for battle. And he says, and it's also kind of like people from different countries that, who need someone to translate so they can understand each other. And the point of all of those illustrations is simply that God wants your gifts to communicate his grace. And so Paul's issue with the gift of tongues, at least how the Corinthians were, were using it, is that if everyone is just standing around jabbering in the tongues of men and angels, they're not actually communicating anything to anybody. And so they're just a clanging gong, just knocking around. But love says, I, I, want, to, I want to benefit others. See that in verse 6? He says, if I'm just jabbering away to, to myself, how does that benefit? I, I want to benefit others, love says. And verse 12, I want to, I want to strive to build others up. Like that's what, my, that's what gifts are for. It's not for me, it's for you. And so Paul says, and the, the next slide here is as he, keep, as he keeps going, verse 13. So he's, Paul starts dropping into more specifics as he compares tongues and prophecies. So he says in verse 13, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret, you know, so that his, his spiritual experience between him and God can be a blessing to others, because that's the whole point. And so, you know, in, I was thinking about this. In this church, because you know, we, we believe that, that the gifts that God has poured out on, on his people that we see in the New Testament are, are for today, that, that Jesus is still building his church with these gifts. And so we, we have people in this church who speak in tongues. Uh, and just the reason that 
we don't see much of that on a Sunday morning. Maybe one of the reasons um, is because of this. Uh, because it seems like for whatever reason, I'm not quite sure, it seems like God has given us some people with the gift of speaking in tongues, but not the gift of interpretation. And so, so Paul says that's, and he's going to go on and explain this further. He says, like, that's not really helpful in this context. So you know what I would like? I'd love to see some gift of interpretation here. Paul says, earnestly desire the, desire the, the, the gifts. I, I think God has purposes for the gift of tongues in this church beyond what we see now. Um, we just need him to provide some more gifts. Uh, so I don't know. You know, if, that's, if God puts that on your heart to pray for, pray for that. Um, he's a generous God, and he, he, you, know, you might be annoyed when your kids come to you and ask for more. That's what delights our father's heart the most. We come and say, Daddy, I want some more. So, Father, we want some more of that here. <laughs> I don't know what that would look like or what we would do with that, but we'd love to see some gift of interpretation. And as he goes on and he, said, and he explains this further, why, why speaking in tongues without any kind of interpretation isn't helpful when the church is gathered. He says, if I pray in a, in a tongue... My, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And so he's like, so I, I want to pray with my spirit and my mind also. I'm going to sing, sing praise with my spirit and my mind also. And now it's, it's funny because that, that verse right there is we reformed people often like to take that verse and be like, that's why we want to sing theologically rich songs because we want to not just sing emotion. We want truth which is also true. <laughs> that's also a good thing. Um, but that's not actually what Paul is talking about at all here. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing to want. We just you know, need to not pull verses out of context because he's not talking about that at all. What he's, what he's saying, because again, even, even that, taking this verse to mean that still gets it backwards because it's still about me. It's I want to sing theologically rich songs for me, for my mind. And that's not what Paul means. When Paul says, I want to sing with my spirit and my mind also, it's not so that I can know more. It's so that you can know more. It's so that what I say and what I sing can be of benefit to other people. See, that's what he says in verse 17. He says, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Your gifts aren't about you. And worship isn't about you. It's about the other person being built up. So Paul says, he says, I would rather speak, this is kind of him using hyperbole here, he says, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others. Jesus loves you this very much. There we go. <laughs> this I know, that's sick, sorry. <laughs> Jesus loves you very much. He's like, I'd rather say that than 10,000 words praying in tongues. Because like, love builds up others. And so the next slide, Paul, Paul goes on and, and he elaborates more now. He's getting more and more into specifics. Elaborates a little more on the purpose of this gift of tongues. You might say, well, well then what's it, what's it doing then? And at first read through, this paragraph is, uh, Paul's argument here is difficult to follow on first read through. So, so let's read this paragraph, try to track with him, because he's gonna, he quotes the Old Testament to make his point about the way the gift of tongues functions. So here's what he says in verse 20. He says, brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Be, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it's written, now he's going to quote the Old Testament, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me says the Lord. And Paul concludes this. He says, thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. And then he illustrates, elaborates, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an out outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? 
But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, here's the hard part to follow. I want to say, Paul, in, in what way... Are tongues a sign for unbelievers? That's what he says. If the effect of speaking in tongues is that unbelievers come in, are like, y'all crazy, and leave. How, how is that a sign for them? What, is, what does that mean? And, so, and here, here's where we have to track carefully with what Paul is saying, because he's actually saying something really profound here. What Paul means is, When tongues are operating that way, they become a sign of judgment for unbelievers. Not a good sign. Judgment. The effect of tongues operating in this way, if everyone's speaking in tongues without interpretation, is that people come in and leave, and their hearts are hardened and they're pushed away so that they remain in their sin and under the judgment of God. And Paul's saying that's that's the sign. It's a sign of judgment. And so Paul is saying, don't do that. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, don't do that. Your gifts are not supposed to communicate judgment. They're supposed to communicate grace. And so Paul contrasts, one last time, tongues and prophecy. He's like, come on, guys, what's, what's the better outcome here? That, that an unbeliever comes in, is like, y'all crazy, and leaves, or an unbeliever comes in and is convicted by truth, and their eyes are opened, and they meet God among you. It's like, what's the better outcome? What do you think, what do you think Jesus' heart here is? And that's why Paul starts this exhortation in verse 20 with, he says, don't be children in your thinking. He's like, he's like, grow up, guys. Stop playing games with your gifts. Because this, the way that your gifts operate in the church really is a matter of life and death. The, the stakes are high here. The way that you use the gifts that God has given you can either confirm someone in their unbelief and hardness of heart, or it can be what God uses to rescue them. And so when we say that love dictates how we use our gifts, it's not just for the building up of the people sitting around you here now, it's for the rescue of those who don't yet know Jesus. So to to get this right, that my gifts are not about me, but that it's about love and communicating the grace of God. So important. Life or death and eternity hangs on this, that Jesus intends for this church, for his church, to be the hands and feet of him reaching out to sinners. See, Jesus seeks and saves the lost. Like that, that's his heart. And so what, what a tragedy it would be if the way that we use our gifts or the way that we do church pushed people away from Jesus. What a tragedy that would be. Because you know, the, the reality is that the gospel is going to do that. Right? The, the gospel both attracts and repels. Some people are going to remain under judgment, and God will save whom he will. But you know What? The repelling part is not your job. Nobody has the spiritual gift of damnation. 
that's, that, that's one that God reserves for himself. Your job is grace. Your job is love. Your job is communicating the kindness of God and the things you say and the way that you do them. Your job is grace. And your gifts are intended to communicate grace to God's people and to a lost world. So now, so Paul, Paul now, I have gotten specific with that. He, he, starts, he brings this chapter in for a landing, and he, he, he's going to end now with some practical application of what the use of gifts should look like when the church is gathered together. And he, Paul, here at the end of the chapter, he gives three examples, um, three examples basically, <laughs> basically of when the church is gathered, um, when to speak up and when to shut up, <laughs> to, for, for lack of a better way of putting it. And he's speaking into three particular situations that are going on in the Corinthian church. Uh, and, and so the details of, of the instructions that he gives are, are specific to the Corinthians' context, to some of the mess that was happening uh, and so it's, as we read, as we do these, these examples, it's, it's unclear exactly of all the details of what was going on, but it seems that in all three situations he addresses of sort of applying what he's just been talking about, um, that their church gatherings were somewhat chaotic. Now, if, if you remember from chapter 11, people getting drunk on communion wine, <laughs> maybe chaotic is a bit of an understatement. And so the advice that Paul gives in all three of these situations, it basically boils down to love means orderly conduct that serves the whole group. That's not just looking out for its own interests. Love seeks the interests of others. So love Love is sort of just behaving in a way that's good for everybody is basically what these three things boil down to. So the first situation he addresses here, and you can, um, you can go to the, the, the next slide here. The first, the first situation is, that is people speaking in tongues. So he's like, okay, let's get clear. And talks to the Corinthians context of their small group of believers meeting in someone's house. He's like, verse 27, he's like, okay, if people want to speak in tongues... First, he's like, let it just be a couple. You know, we, we don't need 20 people lining up at the ministry mic to pray in tongues for the whole service. And he also says, he says in verse 27, he says, only do it if there's an interpreter, you know, so that it can build up. Otherwise, he says, verse 28, let the gift of tongues, let them keep silent in church and just speak to himself and God. And then the second situation, prophecy. Again, he says, he's like, just a couple. Let's not go crazy. One at a time, please. Verse 30, he's like, if, if, you, get a word, if, if you get a word from the Lord sitting there, he's like, don't, don't stand up and interrupt the person talking. <laughs> like, these are not difficult instructions. It's basically, it's like, that's rude. And, you know, chapter 13, love is not rude. <laughs> don't do that. So it seems like what's probably going on here as he addresses the gift of prophecy in the gathered church is is that probably everyone's trying to talk at once. You know, they're, they're, their gifts are about them. They're hogging the spotlight. They, they, wanna, they want the mic, and they're, they're talking over each other. They're interrupting each other, and Paul's like, it's like, guys, that doesn't help anybody. And so he says, verse 30, he says, come on, prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged because love, love seeks the good of others. And this is actually, I wonder if, you, if you've seen this or noticed this. We've mentioned this on occasion. Yeah, that, thanks, thanks, Greg. You see this, this mic here that Greg's waving around? Um, we call that the, the ministry mic. Uh, if, you've, if you've been around here since the, since the, the good old days, uh, where it's like the, the prophecy mic or whatever, ministry mic, whatever, it's the mic down there. Um, and we actually have it down here for this purpose. Because we know and we believe and we have seen that God uses the gifts of not just the person up here on the stage, but uses the gifts that he has distributed to the body to encourage and build up his people. And so you, if you've been around here for even more than, like, I don't know, a couple of months, you've, you've experienced that. You've, and during worship, all of a sudden, kind of, they kind of stop the song, and somebody shares something, a sort of a, a, an encouragement or you know, something that God has put on their heart for people, a, a, a word they've received from the Lord. We have some people here who have the, that gift of prophecy. Um, other times it might just be 
you know, God put a, a Bible verse on my heart, and I think it's something he wants to say to, say to us this morning, and, and just like that. And so you come over to, 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 to Greg, and you tell him, and, you know, and Greg, Greg or George, or whoever's sitting there, there's, a, there's always a pastor sitting there to kind of help keep things orderly. Um, and so then take the mic, and we, and we do that. And actually, we'd like to see more of that. Uh, we, we earnestly desire more gifts. We'd like to see God moving in more ways like that uh, here. And so, so again, if, um, if that's something God puts on your heart, even as we're, you know, we're worshiping, we're, we're singing on a Sunday morning, and you just have this burden of, like, I feel like God wants me to share that. This verse comes to mind or whatever, this exhortation, this promise, you know, and... You think, well, I don't, I don't have the gift of prophecy or anything. I can't, I can't go up there. Don't, don't be scared. It's Greg. Like, <laughs> the, like the, the worst he's gonna, the, like the worst he's gonna say is like, nah. <laughs> uh, like maybe that's just for you. Uh, but, but it might not be. It might be for the church. It might be for one person who's sitting here. It might be for that unbeliever who has come in the door, and God wants to use that thing to be like a lightning bolt breaking open their hearts. Come and talk to Greg. <laughs> because the Spirit desires to move and to build Jesus' church. Send it during the week. Send it during the week. Is, does the Spirit work ahead of time like that? Okay, cool. Sometimes. Well, there, there you go. <laughs> And so, so we have the ministry mic for that purpose. And now, of course, in, so in Corinth, we can see it was just kind of going nuts. It was going crazy. Everyone was talking. So, so Paul's like, that doesn't help. Love seeks the good of others. So we have the, the tongues issue. And he says, hey, guys, just if there's no interpreter, keep silent. It's the prophecy issue. He says, if someone else is, just wait your turn. Keep silent in the meantime. Now the third situation Paul addresses. And th this one takes a little bit more unpacking. Um, Paul addresses the women in the Corinthian church. And on first, on first read through, uh, this, this is going to sound like a big yikes. I'm just going to say that up front. You can go to the, ne the next slide. We can see this. Here's what Paul says in verse 33. He says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak. And all the women are like, come now? What was that, Paul? <laughs> but they should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Yikes, right? Like, hold on. What, what is... What does Paul mean? Now, now this, this here, this paragraph here, this could be a whole sermon uh, to unpack and explain this, but we've actually done two of those. We've actually done two sermons on this already. If you were here back in September, uh, when we got to chapter 11, in which Paul addresses these issues like head covering and women praying in church, uh, we, he, we touched on this, and so we stopped, and Don did two messages on what the Bible says about the role of women, and we had two Grace at the Table panel discussions about this. And so, so we, we've already talked about this passage uh, recently. And so if you want, if you want more, um, <clears throat> um, if... If you missed those, you can go back and watch those or listen to them. You can go to gracecommunity.org, and under the, the Sunday messages, you can just scroll back to September and find Don's messages. Under Grace at the Table, we have those discussions right there that you can watch or listen. Uh, so, so I'll be a little bit more brief here. You can go back to those messages if you want more. So the question is, what in the world does Paul mean here? And it helps to see this in context, both in what Paul is doing here at the end of the chapter and what he's been saying all along in the book. Because right off the bat, when you have a difficult passage where you're like, what does, what does this mean? Uh, it's, it's sometimes helpful to start with, well, what doesn't it mean? And, and right off the bat, one thing that this can't mean, when Paul, when Paul says the women should keep silent in the churches, shameful for a woman to speak in church, right off the bat, one thing it can't mean is that women are actually supposed to just sit down and shut up and not exercise their gifts. 
And, and I, the reason it can't mean that isn't just because, well, I don't like that interpretation. Uh, no, it's because uh, that's not a good way to do, to do Bible interpretation. No, it's because in chapter 11, in chapter 11, Paul was giving instructions to women about how they should pray and prophesy in church. The assumption being that they were and the implication being they should be. Paul's saying, here is how to do this, women. And so, so Paul is not going to be like, here, women, here's how to pray and prophesy in church. And then on the next page, be like, sit down, shut up. Like, that's, he, he's not coming back here one page later and being like, actually, cancel that. Just don't speak at all. That, that doesn't make sense. And so that's not what he means. The question then is, what does he mean? What does this mean? And here's where the context here at the end of chapter 14 helps. Remember, he's addressing these three situations in the Corinthian church where their gatherings are chaotic and they're not operating in love. And his instruction, did you notice this, in each of these situations is keep silent. In all three of them. Tongues, so if there's no interpreter, keep silent. Prophets, if someone else is talking, keep silent. And women, or perhaps the better the word would be better here translated wives. Uh, it's, it's the same word in Greek, so sometimes it's hard to tell. Um, wives, perhaps, keep silent, he says, and ask your husbands about stuff when you get home. So, apparently... There is some issue going on in the Corinthian church with the women or the wives that was causing similar kind of self-centered chaos in their gatherings. Just like the tongues people drawing attention to themselves, messing up the gathering, the prophets speaking over one another. Something was going on with the women or the wives. And so we're not exactly sure what it was. If you read four commentaries, you'll get five ideas. But it was, it was apparently something disruptive. And so some people say, well, it might have been, it might have been, you can, and all of these are plausible, that p- perhaps if in this church, if men and women sat separately, which is how it was done in synagogues at the time, it's less clear if it was done like that in house churches, but if, if all the women were sitting over here, chit-chatting during the service... I can't imagine that ever happened. <laughs> All the women are over here, and, and just, Paul's basically just like, shush. <laughs> like, maybe that's the issue he's, he's talking about. Um, or it might be, it might also be in a culture where women were, by and large, uneducated, that they were, uh, maybe they were interrupting to ask questions. They're like, what, did he, well, what does it mean? What did, I, don't, I don't get it. it that's, it's possible. And that, and in fact, because that might be why Paul says, Ladies, if you want to learn, just talk to your husbands afterwards, because they might have been doing that disruptively. Or perhaps, uh, if, if the word is best translated wives here, which again, because it's connected with husbands, that, 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 that probably makes sense. Perhaps wives were interrupting or disagreeing with, or I don't know, maybe even heckling their husbands, uh, which, which would be why Paul would bring up that headship submission of the marriage relationship, that perhaps they were violating that with public disrespect in some way. And it feels like the way the flow of Paul's argument, it seems like something like that is probably what he has in mind. But whatever the specific situation was, it, it, it falls into the same category as the chaos around tongues and prophecy. It's let all things be done in order for building one another up. Because that's what your gifts are for. That's what the gathering of God's people is for. And that's what love does. Love should dictate how we use our gifts. Love should dictate how we interact with one another, how we come together to worship. Love is the mark of true spirituality. Servanthood is the mark of true greatness. And so if it's you putting yourself out front, hogging the spotlight, grabbing the mic, if it's you puffing yourself up with your credentials, if it's you getting in the way of other people 
worshiping and experiencing God and learning, then it's not grace and it's not good. But love serves the best interests of others. And so that's what, that's what Paul is after here. That is what Jesus is after in his church. If, if I can have the worship team come, because you know, see, this is this simply this chapter 12, 13, 14, this is what it looks like for the church to be the body of Christ. It, this is what it looks like for Jesus to reign here, for, for his perfect love to work in us and through us. It looks like spiritual gifts given flowing out to those around us, supernatural grace meeting us where we are through the encouragement and upbuilding of those around us. It looks like love that isn't resentful or rude or holding on to wrongs. It looks like love that puts the interest of others ahead of itself, love that is patient and kind. And it looks like every time we gather together loving like that. And that's what it looks like for Jesus to reign here. And you can see here at the end, as so Paul just sort of, this last little paragraph there is Paul basically just putting an exclamation mark on this whole thing. Of he, of he sort of question, pushes back a little bit. He's like, he's like, you guys think you're all that. And if you really are all that, if you really are in touch with the heart of God, he says, verse 37, you will recognize that what I am saying to you is a command from the Lord. A command from the Lord. Love is not optional for those who follow Jesus. This kind of love is not optional. And so our response as, as a church, as, as individuals, as, as believers, those who have put our faith in Jesus, our response should be, yes, Lord. If this is what it looks like for you to reign, then, oh, Lord, reign in, in me. Be the king of my heart like this. Let your love work in me and through me. Lord, that is, our, that is our prayer, that you would reign in us. Jesus, you are building your church, and you are building it rooted and established in love. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have tried to hog the spotlight and put the spotlight on anything but you and your grace. Lord, reign in us and turn our selfish hearts towards your perfect love. Lord, so that you, your church would be built, that your kingdom would come more and more in its fullness, that people would see the reality of your great love. So great and mighty one, do this in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing.